Welcome to The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. On The Backbone, we're obsessed with finance and operations at startups. We take a close look at finance functions within various startup companies by talking to finance leaders that are in there day in and day out. We chat startup finance, metrics, operations, and everything in between. Joining me on this episode of The Backbone is Tiffany Shao, VP of Finance at RubiCloud. RubiCloud uses artificial intelligence to automate intelligent decision-making for enterprise retailers. As the VP of Finance, Tiffany is responsible for finance, operations, IT, and legal at RubiCloud. Prior to RubiCloud, Tiffany spent seven years at PricewaterhouseCoopers in both the Vancouver and Melbourne offices, managing the delivery of PwC services to clients in audit and assurance practices. As the founding employee of RubiCloud, Tiffany played an integral role in RubiCloud's rapid growth from a team of five people to now over 120 people in four different geographies in the past five years. Her ability in building a lean GNA function, combined with a deep understanding of business operations, allows startups to grow and scale in a sustainable way. Tiffany holds a Bachelor of Commerce from the University of British Columbia and has a chartered professional designation. And so without further ado, let's hear from Tiffany herself, VP of Finance at RubaCloud. Hey, good afternoon, Tiffany. Thanks for coming on The Backbone. Uh, We've got a lot to cover here, so let's dive right in. Prior to RubiCloud, you were at uh, PwC in Vancouver with a stint in Melbourne, and you were in industries that focused on mining, real estate, infrastructure, and manufacturing, to name a few. Uh, Since then, you've uh, been at RubiCloud, a technology company. So talk to me about the transition and what pulled you into tech. Hi, thanks for having me on. Um, And... You know, to answer your question, I think that's the beauty of being at an international professional firm like PwC. Uh, it really allowed me to get exposed to various industries. I never felt like I was limited to a specific industry during the earlier part of my career. Um, and I was really lucky to have that experience uh, um, in the first couple of years. My transition to tech is actually pretty uh, not that exciting. Um, basically, after a year after I returned to, uh, from Melbourne in Vancouver, and at that time, I've been in public practice for you know close to seven years and was at a point in my career where I was assessing whether or not I want to continue on there or start to explore what's beyond um, public practice. And that's actually when the CEO and co-founder of RubiCloud reached out to me. We actually had known each other from university, and we also article together at uh, PwC. Oh, cool. And at that time, he had just started a company with two other co-founders, and they just raised their first round of financing. And the role that he pitched at the time was uh, finance and operations focused. To, to be very honest, like the first call we had, I had no idea what big data was. That was five years ago. <laughs> had to Google that. Um, but what has always been a big draw uh, in terms of tech for me is the passion, the drive, and innovation that you know companies try to achieve in in their uh, in, in their world stage. So getting the chance to build something from the ground up and to be a part of a really early team um, is interesting because uh, I've been at RubiCloud for five years now and um, the other early employee, we're still fighting to figure out who's employee number one because we started on the same day. Um, <laughs> but it was really just an opportunity I couldn't pass. Uh, moving to technology 
meant that I would have to learn really quickly. And that was actually something I was excited about. That's great. You know, it's uh, really cool to get a perspective of uh, a very early employee of, uh, of Ruby Cloud. And we'll dive more into that uh, as we uh, keep going. But uh, maybe uh, you could tell me a little bit about Ruby Cloud first and, and what Ruby Cloud is all about before we do that. Yeah, so Ruby Cloud is a leader in AI software for enterprise retailers. You know, over the past five years, we have built a cloud native and SaaS data platform that's able to handle enterprise data workloads. So massive amounts of data that we work with and across different data sources. So we can adjust data sources such as uh, point of sales, e-commerce, loyalty, CRM, uh, basically any sort of data source that's sitting in silos at an enterprise retail level, we're able to ingest. So that helped us uh, to build application solutions on top of that. So we have machine learning engines to answer questions for the retailers, such as, you know, how if my uh, past promotions were successful, um, minimizing stockouts and overstocks, um, understanding uh, the customer journey and automatically generate experience across various channels, whether it's online or offline, and increasing that customer touch point really is to help our retailers making decisions more using AI, essentially. And so, um, you know, you touched on this in your uh, earlier response. You had to Google at first what big data really was. And just for the benefit of some of our listeners, maybe at a high level, you could cover um, what big data is, is all about. Yeah, definitely. Um, so for big data, how I like to uh, you know describe it um, for for people I generally speak with is um, it's data sets that are actually too large or too complex for um, traditional data processing um, applications. So when we work with uh, enterprise retailers, um, depending on the size and the type of retailers we work with are generally um, global. They have massive amounts of data that uh, their existing application generally cannot handle. Um, so our, our backend allows them to actually uh, use um, massive amounts of data and provide um, you know, machine learning engines uh, analysis on top of that. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. And so um, switching gears now a little bit, uh, you, you know, you've been at the company now for five years, like you mentioned, and uh, one of the very early employees there. In that time, RubyCloud had, has raised $45 million, including the most recent Series B round led by Intel Capital. And so needless to say, you've experienced tremendous growth at the company since you've joined. And in your role, what has been the biggest challenge as you went through the various rounds of financing? And I have a couple of follow-up questions to that as well. Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think that's uh, something that every finance leader kind of, um, you know, have to continue to evaluate at each stage of, uh, of the company. I think it's always important for us to reassess what does a company need to be successful to get us to the next milestone. So when we think of milestones, it could be uh, when you raise you know, the easiest ones is when you raise uh, when you raise a round. And because each company is so different, you really have to dive into the business operations in order to answer that. Um, I always say that the, uh, the processes and the way that we operate uh, get us to where we are today. Um, and those were the right things for us to do because it got to where we are. However, when we get to, when we're trying to achieve to our next milestone, we have to reevaluate whether or not those are the right things and the right processes for us to get to the next uh the next iteration. Right, right. So what are maybe some of the processes and procedures that you had to put into place for the finance function from, you know, when, when the time that you first started out till now to make sure that the finance function itself 
scales with the growth of the company? Uh, that's a very good question. And I think that's a lesson that I have learned in the past few years. So um, the way that uh, we have historically operated as we have always been really lean with our corporate function hires. Um, our first finance hire was uh, actually a few months after our Series A. Um, and then we recently hired a controller probably around six months ago. And, uh, you know, for the first four years in my uh, Everbit Cloud, I was processing payroll. Um, but that's really just a reflection of our business um, because like the, the type of business model we have is enterprise sales, it's high value, low volume. So when you kind of look at the, the support function like finance to the business, it doesn't require uh, a handful of people. What we really need is uh, to be very efficient in the way that we operate. Um, you know, the, I think the month end processes are fairly standard across most, you know, most companies in terms of finance, um, as we got bigger as a team, uh, now we're able to put in more, you know, balances and checks. I want to spend some time talking about, you know, stakeholders. So obviously, with the funding that that uh, Rubik Cloud has raised, there are, you know, strategic investors like Intel and OpenText, as well as more traditional VCs like Inovia. So how did you manage the various kinds of stakeholders and the, you know, increasing number of investor requirements that they may have had from when you started till, say, the most recent round? That's a Great question, because that's actually something that I've been looking forward to is to work with various um, various uh, VCs and investors. And I think we've been very lucky with the investors that we've been able to work with for the past couple of years. Um, the way we view our investors is that they are a partner to the business and they're, help, they're here to help us you know, to succeed. Um, so when it comes to working with to stakeholder reporting, it's really to, first of all, help them understand what the business drivers are. Um, how the business operate, a lot of the assumptions that go into um, how we should uh, measure the business because uh, depending on the type of business, the, the standard kind of SaaS metrics may not be applicable to us um, compared to another company. Uh, so during, for example, during our board meetings, it's you can kind of start to see the conversation, the dialogue that we have is um, about how to drive the business, um, you know, whether it's the top line, whether it's looking at the actual business operations and the type of questions that they raise and the type of um, partnerships um, that they're able to introduce us to are very valuable to us. One of the things that really stood out to me while I was doing research for the, this episode and, and learning a bit more about RubyCloud myself was that uh, RubyCloud works with some of the world's largest retailers um, who've had collective you know, revenue of over $100 billion in annual sales. And one of the use cases of how RubyCloud helped its customers really stood out to me was that one of the world's largest uh, perfume and cosmetics retailers with over 111 million euros in total sales attributed that 12 million euros of incremental revenue was due to RubyCloud. Or in other words, they saw a 12% uh, increase of their, you know, lo loyalty customers migrate to low loyalty customers migrate to high loyalty customers with the uh, use of machine learning generated promotions. And so this is a massive impact on very, very large dollar values, which is uh, really great to see such a platform like RubyCloud deliver. Um, in, in prior episodes of, of uh, The Backbone, we've had uh, guests talk about the SMB market where you deal with thousands of customers. And in your case, you're selling to large enterprises. And so what is it like selling to these large organizations and the long sales cycles that you have? And what considerations do you have to take into account as a finance leader of a B2B 
enterprise software company. With with regards to the first point, I think that's what's exciting about Ruby Cloud. Um, We get to have a real meaningful and significant impact on our customers' uh, top line. And uh, and retailers know that they need to continue to innovate um, in order to stay competitive in the business. So uh, that's definitely something that... uh, been driving, I think, uh, you know, all of the companies uh, knowing what kind of um, impact we have on our customers. And with regards to the long sales cycle, I think that's really uh, the the challenge for all uh, enterprise sales companies. That uh, you know, you're absolutely right. The sales cycle is much longer. Um, with high value and low volume contract, it means that uh, each deal has a significant impact on on our business operations, and that's why it's. You know, extremely important for finance to be a you know partner to all functions in the companies and to the company and understand the drivers in terms of our operations. And we have to start with sales, understanding sales cycle, understanding the sa- uh, the sales stages, how we define um, you know each of the sale uh, the deal stage, and how to define uh, whether which uh, customer falls into which bucket. Um, understand understanding all of that uh, will help us develop the right assumptions that goes into the model. You know, when we talk about uh, long sales cycles, that means that uh, we are uh, incurring spend as uh, we are uh, growing our our sales, um, you know, sales pipeline. So what that means is that we have to test out the strategy, evaluate and learn um, if uh, what we're doing uh, is actually reflecting in the model, um, if the numbers make sense. And that will tell us uh, whether or not we are doing the right things. You know, as I look back and on when you had first started, and now I would kind of consider you as a enterprise software uh, veteran of, of uh, five years now. And so um, what advice or, or I guess, uh, learning would you share um, that uh, maybe you wish you would have known uh, when you first started into this uh, world of B2B enterprise software as a finance So many things. (laughs) Um, I think um, there's a lot of lessons that we have learned in the past couple of years in terms of um, working with uh, enterprise, uh, enterprise customers and that's why, like one of the first things I said is, you know, really understanding our sales cycle and defining the sales, uh, the sales stages, um, because before we can do anything else, um, we need to have that really, really fleshed out and having a mature sales organization um, is the first part um, into developing the right business model, um, how we sell, the pricing that we set up, the type of salespeople that uh we have to hire um, and the, the the right people to speak at um, in terms of um, who our customers are at the what, what level should we uh, speak to them at? Um, how do we structure the deals in terms of term, in, in terms of a frequency, of touch point and how, how we interact with them? Um, when it's a, such a long sales cycle, we really have to evaluate uh evaluate that uh, quite frequently to make sure that we're doing the right things. How does, um, you know, having a a longer sales cycle and being able to understand that impact certain things like uh, hiring, for instance, or um, impact things like uh, when you're going out to raise capital, like uh, your latest round, how do those considerations impact decisions that you make in terms of hiring or raising capital? And that's the beauty of having uh, finance in, uh, in the startup organization is that uh, I think 
Finance has to be a true partner to all functions in the business. If you really have to understand, uh, and I keep saying this, uh, you really have to understand the business in order to have the right assumptions in your model. We really have to understand that in order for us to map out what it would look like 12 months in advance, 24 months in advance, and to see if we are tracking along our top line and what that will reflect on our, you know, on our burn. How, how do we spend to our top line? If we are not meeting our target, how do we adjust for, uh, you know, to scale back, whether it's scale back on hiring, um, the, the timing of when we spend. So I think it's really important to have that visibility and always have a, you know, a very fluid working model so that you can map it out and uh, make changes um, way in advance instead of when it's too late. And uh, I believe you covered a bunch of what I'm about to say already. So it was a great segue. But uh, in your opinion, what is the importance of the finance function at a technology company, uh, apart from uh, what you already mentioned? It's interesting, because uh, I think when I first started off um, at uh, Rupert Cloud, like I think my mentality, because I was here so early when we we're five people, our mentality is, you know, to just not spend or to spend as minimal as possible um but uh as we kind of in true accounting fashion <laughs> exactly, exactly um but i think as we we grow bigger and bigger we have to um think about what are the right investments into into the business um because we we're hiring all these people we have right now you know over uh just over 100 people um across the globe um, and if we don't give them the tools and the, the things that they need in order to be successful, to be productive, what's the point of hiring them? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what's uh, important for a finance function in an organization like ours today is that uh, we, we understand the business drivers to model out the story of what we want to see in 12 months, in 24 months, and continually to track that. Um, so if we are, you know, whether it's a, uh, uh, meeting our targets, uh, not meeting our targets, we can make changes and be agile in the way that we, uh, uh, you know, the way that we move. One thing that I'd like to do now is jump into our quick fire round. And so the way this works is I'll ask you a couple of questions and you'll have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? Let's do it. All right. So what's your go-to online resource for all things startup finance related? Uh, I've, um, I spoke, I heard him speak at last year's SAS North conference and I've been going to his uh, website quite consistently is, uh, David Stock. Yeah. David Stock. He's, uh, actually one of the most frequent, uh, mentioned, um, resource on the backbone. So that's great to hear. Uh, what's your favorite productivity hack? I have a lot of them. Um, one is, uh, bringing in snacks with a whole, uh, whole team to have, uh, I think are what uh-huh. drives, uh, productivity. <laughs> But also Very interesting. Exercise during the day. I think. Um, I think exercise. Um, we we have like our uh, kind of like fifteen minutes stretch exercise um, within our team just to make sure that we are constantly moving. That's very cool. <laughs> so what happens? Like, do you have a, some sort of like calendar set up that like it reminds you at a certain time throughout the day? It's like it's uh, stretching time or it's snack time or how do you keep on? Usually top of that? it's after lunch. So we have um, after our having like our our lunch time um kind of like you know the the after lunch just uh, a uh, slag in terms of the day um, that's when we usually have that cool I've, i can't say i've heard that one before so that's a new one i, I like it a lot uh what's one thing you don't leave the office before finishing i plan out the next day so that uh i don't get overwhelmed um with uh 
I think a lot of ad hoc messages and ad hoc meetings. So I always kind of plan. It's kind of interesting because after I left uh, PwC, I was so excited about not doing timesheets. But now I feel like I should do timesheets. I do time my calendar just to track what I'm actually doing. <laughs> What's one tech jargon that uh, makes you cringe? Disruption, like disruptor. Yes, I've heard that one before as well. That's a good one. Uh, what's the best advice you've received so far in your career? There's been a lot. Um, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of different um, mentors in my career that have provided me with different advice uh, throughout the years. But I think one that I have been working on most recently is uh, more personal to me. It's actually to speak slower and speak with confidence. Because I think sometimes when um, when you are nervous or when you just want to get the the words of your mouth, you speak a lot faster. Um, but what you don't realize is that uh, when you're speak speaking slowly, even though you feel like you're speaking slowly to the listener, it. It's not really. It doesn't seem like that. Um, so that's something I've been working on, but uh, still a work in progress. Nice. That's good to hear. Well, I can't say that uh, for this conversation, your your pace and your 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 uh, level of you know uh, command over the topics has been great, and I've really learned a lot uh, with this chat. So thanks again, uh, Tiffany, for for your time, and it's really been a pleasure and fascinating chat, learning about uh, how finance functions can scale. You know, when you started at Ruby Cloud from five and employees to now over 100 uh, across the globe, as well as thinking through what are some of the considerations of enterprise software and, and how that impacts uh, how you make decisions and considerations as, as the finance leader of that organization. So I've really enjoyed this chat a lot. And uh, thanks so much, Tiffany, for joining the Backbone. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye now.